We'd like to welcome everyone back to the Nova Society, and today Scott and I continue our conversation regarding the conflict in Israel as we discuss Palestinian leadership and some biblical history of the Palestinian and Israeli people. So let's listen in. But the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem, who is the Palestinian leader, spent World War II in Berlin with Adolf Hitler, not in Ramallah or Jerusalem. Uh, one of his goals was to prevent Hitler from sending European Jews to uh, what was then Palestine. Uh, and, and the Palestinians fought against the British during World War II while the Jews who were living in Palestine put down their weapons or took them up in the fight against the Germans and supported the British troops. Uh, and then at the end of the war, which as we know, the British won and the Germans lost, the Grand Mufti had the nerve to go to the British and say, hey, you know, now the war is over. Can I have my land? And I don't know how he didn't get laughed out of the room. But the British divided the country according to UN lines that had been, you know, negotiated going back to the 1920s and, and again in the 1930s. And now in 1947, proposed the modern state that uh, two modern states, one in the West Bank and Gaza for the Palestinians and the other, a thin strip along the coast, mostly uh, to the to the Jews, which became the state of Israel and Palestine and immediately was attacked by every country surrounding them to eliminate them before they could take root. And, you know, they won that war. They won the war in 1967. They won the war in 1973, although that was a close one. And, uh, and, and they began after that to start making peace with different countries around, or at least cold pieces, which is what I would describe the relationship with Syria is, because they hit Syria usually so hard that Syria just backs down and they seem very predictable. Um, but made a real lasting peace with Egypt, made a real lasting peace with Jordan. And this was always going to be the hardest one to do, the West Bank and Gaza. G Gaza, by the way, was never controlled by the Palestinians. It was controlled by Egypt, just as the West Bank was controlled by Jordan. Neither of them gave the Palestinians their own country. But somehow that gets swept under the rug. And then and left them there in in refugee camps to be a thorn in the side of Israel rather than. So my point here is that the Palestinians have never had good leaders. Right. And if you think about their best leader, it's Yasser Arafat, who was a terrible leader and a brutally corrupt man who walked away with billions of their dollars uh, in, in a bank account in in France and. And stole the money that he got from various uh, groups that were supporting the Palestinians, stole that money for himself, and then in the end was unable to make peace that Bill Clinton and and, and uh, Yitzhak Rabin offered to him, and and said afterwards, "I just can't be the one to say yes." And there's not been a, a decent leader since. So Netanyahu 
decides, hey, if I can't find a partner to make peace with among the Palestinians, I'll start making peace on the edges. I'll make peace with Morocco, who Israel has never had a problem with. I'll make peace with the United Arab Emirates, for which Iran was very, very irate. And so the, the Abraham Accords during the Trump years were mostly the low-hanging fruit. The tough one was always going to be Saudi Arabia. It's been a hard negotiation because we don't generally support the, the human rights violations that make Saudi Arabia such a, an interesting place, I guess uh, you would say. But um, part of that deal is for there to be a Palestinian state. And the question has been for the last few months, will Bibi scrap the notion of a Palestinian uh, of peace with Saudi Arabia and all that that means to Israel just to keep the Palestinians from having their own state? And I think we finally got that answer on September 30th at the UN, and then this happened. And it it's so important, it's so vital that the Israelis and the Saudi Arabians get back to the to the negotiating table and continue that negotiation, or else Iran and Hamas has won, right? Uh, right. So, right. so I, I think that that it's it's totally important for that. Now, I could see any number of people out there that you and I both know arguing the other way on this and saying this is all about Israeli brutality, but it isn't. It's not about Israeli brutality, not this time. This time it's about Israeli making peace with Saudi Arabia and is in that. And the, the big loser is Iran and, uh, and another big loser is Hamas. And that's why this happened. Right. And, and I would agree. You know, if you line up the, the, the events just before this happened, this is something that probably was planned for quite some time. This is not something that somebody planned on a weekend. The Palestinians did not just wake up, you know, Saturday morning and say, hey, let's just, you know, do this. This is something that has been two, in the this, works for This was two, I read today that this was two years in the making with training and prep. Uh, that they had built, they had actually built in Gaza replicas of Israeli towns so that they knew where to go and how to attack them. Right. And then, and, it, and then I, my belief is, is that the timing of this isn't, it was, it was going to come after BB made that speech at some point, but the idea that they had this um, massive going on, not far away from them, which is a peace concert. Um, Simha Torah is a day where you celebrate the, the giving Torah, the law, the law books to the Hebrews when they were still wandering around the Sinai. And, um, and the Torah itself, which is, you know, the the story, the, the story of the Jewish people up until, you know, that period of time. And then, uh, and and that follows, that's the last day of Sukkot, which is a holiday that celebrates, that commemorates them wandering in the desert. You sit in these little tents, uh, huts called Sukkots, mm-hmm. and, and have your meals out there. And the idea there is you're supposed to be emulating the people in the desert. The reason that they were in the desert for 40 years was to get rid of that old slave mentality, right? I mean, this is war anyway, right? But uh, to get rid of that slave mentality, people who came out of Egypt could not be the ones who were allowed to go into the promised land because the promised land had to be pristine and they didn't want that old slave mentality 
And there's a famous story about uh, Joshua and Caleb going into Canaan and looking around and back with stories of giants carrying enormous grapes the size of, of automobiles, practically. And then how were they ever going to fight these giants? And Moses said, turn around, go back into the desert. We're not ready yet. Um, and only Caleb and, and uh, Joshua came back and said, we can take them. And so they got to stay, and jo- and Joshua was one of the ones who got in to go into uh, uh, the promised land to to fight and tear down the walls of Jericho and defeat all their enemies and so on and so forth. So that's the the sort of biblical background, and that celebration is, and it is, you know, we come out of the high holy day, days. The Jewish New Year is not a joyful time at all. It's not like New Year's here in the United States. Right. It's right. Uh, the the first part, Rosh Hashanah, is somewhat like okay, a new beginning, and then you know, two weeks later or whatever it is, you have Yom Kippur, which is like atoning for your sins for the last year and hoping that you're going to do better for the future, and you have to make amends and so on and so forth. So um, it is a somber holiday. It's a fast day, and then another two weeks go by. I think it is or a month. Um, not up on my Judaism these days. And and uh, Sukkot comes, which is a celebration, again, sort of half somber, half celebratory. And then you come out with Simchat Torah, which is 100% celebratory, and this happens, right? So they have this big concert, and it, it's, it draws people from all over Europe, and and uh, and this is what was the, t- the soft target that the Hamas decided to attack and the massacres that went on at this concert are brutal and so were all the other ones that happened. And another point I just want to make is that, you know, somebody said, well, don't have a, a concert outside the biggest P, uh, open air POW camp in the world or whatever. And my point there is, you know, once you get outside of Gaza and you see Israel, you're in Israel, you're not in occupied territory anymore. That is Israel. And they should, Israelis should feel safe in Israel. Whether the settlers feel safe in the West Bank or up in the Golan Heights, um, you know, the ones who were in Sinai, the ones who were in Gaza, whether they felt safe or not was a question because they weren't in Israel. They were in occupied territories. But this is Israel and everybody has a right to feel safe in their own country. So uh, I don't I don't want to hear about how this is occupied territory unless you're so anti-Semitic that you don't believe that that the Jews deserve to have a, a homeland of their own anyway, and and then you know you and I that person nothing to to discuss because we're so far apart. There's no no need to even talk about it. Yeah, and anti-Semit yeah anti-Semitism is something that that I never really understood. Um, you know, I've studied it, but then again, I never understood that you know in the late 19th century if you were a roman catholic from ireland or italy and you came to you know your area now connecticut you were you were the lowest of the low plain Mm -hmm. and simple you were the lowest that's why the knights of columbus was formed uh which is a catholic uh men's order and they were formed basically so that people could get their, their loved ones buried because there was nobody would hire them. They were they were they were true third class citizens back then, and I guess my question is is of course I, and I agree with you. Hamas, the, the Palestinians, 
just simply for some reason, either they can't pick a good leader or these internal groups overwhelm them and they become the leader by default. So it's one or the other. I guess I don't understand, and, and, and this has always been, of course, my wife is Jewish, uh, why people hate Jews so much. What, what, is, the, what is the reason for that, that great animosity that exists? And it's, it's historic. Well, what is it that I think, it? Yeah, I think there's a couple of, uh, of different things that go into it. And there are some ancient ones, right, which continue down to this day. Sure. Right. The the Egyptians feared and hated the the Habiru. Habiru is a is a word that means stranger. Mm-hmm. I am told, uh, or I have read, and that's where you get the word Hebrew from. Is from these Habiru. They are strangers in a strange land, and the Egyptian pharaohs apparently were worried that if a if Egypt attacked by an outside force, that the Hebrews would join with the outside force and overtake Egypt. So they couldn't trust them because they were too different. They worshipped different gods than the Egyptian gods, and and they didn't they didn't trust the Jews. That calumny has come down through the ages. I mean, Donald Trump used to play on that one all the time, saying that American Jews are not American. Their their first allegiance is to Israel, and that that is an anti as anti-Semitic as anything I've ever heard in my life. And Trump used to say that all the time, openly. Um, because American Jews are Americans first. Like, you know, we anybody who came to this country, wherever they came from, is supposed to swear their allegiance to the U.S. Constitution, the flag, and the United States of America, not uh, the country that they came from. You know, and I'm, I've got a dual background myself. My mother is from Scotland. My father's family came from what was then Austria-Hungary, but is now Ukraine. But came in the early 1900s, did the whole, you know, East Lower East Side thing in the shtetl, and and then moved eventually to Brooklyn, which is where my dad was born, um, which at that time was almost considered like the suburbs, and and the uh, yeah, the Brooklyn was the suburbs. And, um, really think about that for a minute. But but uh, but uh, you know the our allegiance is to America and not to Israel, and my allegiance is to America and not to Scotland. Um, and and yet there are people who come from, you know, the Trumps come from Germany, but you, Trump would never say I'm all for Germany above America. Um, but, uh, but, but for some reason, Jews never get that, the, the benefit of the doubt there. There's also a lot of ignorance involved in it. You know, there have been stories about... Um, Jews killing Catholic, uh, Christian babies and using their blood to make matzahs and things like that. I actually heard that from a student of mine in Queens, New York, a little Puerto Rican boy named Raul, who's very sweet in most other ways, but said that his grandmother told him uh, that story that that uh, you watch out for the Jews. They'll kidnap you and turn you into, you know, drain your blood. And that story is not far away from the QAnon stories, right, that you hear. So QAnon is sort of an anti-Semitic without necessarily the Semitic part of it, mm-hmm. um, you know, in that their craziness. But you, you have, but, uh, but that's, that is the, the background of anti-Semitism, at least, you know, globally and then in both Europe, right? Because that was a big thing about Hitler. Hitler's uh, beliefs was that 
Germany would have won uh, World War One if it wasn't for the Jewish bankers back in Berlin who, you know, were making more money from surrendering now or whatever it was. We're we're allied with the Rothschilds of France, and and they're the ones that cost Germany the war. There's no, obviously, that didn't happen. Um, there's you know, there, and he didn't need any proof to it. He just believed that and refused to believe anything else. And you know, when you, and as people say, not not many people have actually read Mein Kampf. I was forced to read it uh as was i <laughs> as so, was i oh. and i and i do remember the last page of that book saying you know what even if we lose the war if we manage to kill you know a, a large size of the population of jews in europe it would be worth it you yeah know, there's nothing it, it's the whole cause of of hitler and of nazis was to destroy the the jews now the Arab countries didn't have that. Jews were assimilated in a lot of Arab countries going back to the Ottoman days. So, so it wasn't until the 70s really that there was a big religious aspect to the Arab-Israeli conflict. Prior to that, it was about nationalism. It was about you know European invasion. It was it was about creating a land for themselves. The the fact that they that there were Jews living there simply meant that a that a, an arab couldn't live there uh and they wanted the the jews to go back to europe of course that couldn't happen uh and should never happen and um but once pan islamism took uh replaced pan arabism it took on a, an uglier tone and even die in the wool palestinian terrorists like george habash found themselves without support from his uh, his prior uh, comrades in arms because you know he was a Christian and and they rejected Christianity. You, you're hard pressed to find Christians in the Middle East anywhere anymore. So again, yeah. You, yeah, over the, over a period of time, it took longer for countries like Iraq, even Syria, um, uh, the the um, the Maghreb countries to lose all of their Jews and Christians and replace them with nothing but uh, Muslims. But that shift happened over time. And now the, the root uh, cause of a lot of the anti-Semitism is based on religion. Right. And the fact that the, the Jews control the third holiest site in Islam, which is the Al-Quds uh, mosque in Jerusalem. Yeah. It's a it's a bit of a mess. And we'll continue this conversation in the next episode. So that's all the time we have for today's episode. We'd like to thank our sponsors, the JCIS, an open journal for upcoming scholars. The JCIS is currently accepting article submissions on an ongoing basis. The JCIS is a publication of Nova Works, a depository at Nova Southeastern University. The Phoenix Group, an independent research consortium offering social issue solutions to NGOs and international government agencies through multidisciplinary, nonpartisan, and unbiased research. And finally, BH Conflict Resolution Services, a full-service dispute resolution firm offering expert and cost-effective mediation services to couples, groups, and businesses. BHCRS can be reached at www.bhcrs.com. 
We'd also like to thank our podcast partners, Buzzsprout, who hosts the Nova Society, iHeartRadio, where people get their music and podcasts, Apple iTunes, the largest source for music and podcasts on the internet, Spotify, the most popular source for the Nova Society. The Nova Society is available on all these and other quality platforms mentioned in our description. And finally, Podkite, our analytical partners. We'd like to thank all of our listeners. Without you, the Nova Society would not be possible. If you have a comment, question, or would like to be a guest on the Nova Society, we can be reached at nova.society.podcast at gmail.com. Always remember, the power of society is knowledge. So for Dr. Scott Gershwer, Dr. Brooklyn Ann Weldon, and all of us here at the Nova Society, I'm Dr. Mark Bound. Be well, and we hope to see you again next time.